a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hello, 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 my friends. How goes it? How are you guys doing? Shalom. I'm doing good. That's a vibe. Shalom is a whole vibe. I love it. It That is is. a whole vibe. (laughs) I dig it. What are you guys drinking today? Okay. So I made myself (laughs) an iced AeroPress uh, with some Boon Buna coffee from here in Renton. Delicious. And I haven't taken a sip of this yet. (gasps) Oh, that turned out. (laughs) (laughs) That turned out very good. Um, I made a French 75 cocktail. Hashtag have me on the whiskey bench, Stephen Torna and Kat. I put some raspberries. Oh, actually, that would be fun. Yeah, it would. Yes, thank you. (laughs) Shout out to them. Great show. Um, Throw down the gauntlet. We got it. uh, So a French 75, which I believe has been on the whiskey bench before. It has. I heard about it there. Mm -hmm. Um, It's gin, Prosecco, lemon juice, and usually bitters. Uh, don't have any bitters, but I tossed in some sprigs of rosemary and I don't have sugar or simple syrup readily available. So I just tossed some raspberries in there and, uh, it's pretty good. Wow. Like floating raspberries. Like you had floating strawberries in there in a drink a while ago. I did with some whiskey. Well done. I am keeping it simple today. I have a Raz Cranberry LaCroix, the fourth best flavor. (gasps) Which flavor? Raz Cranberry. Oh, okay. What did you think I said? I, well, no, because I'm also drinking a LaCroix, and I thought we were drinking the same flavor, oh. but we're not. I know. What are you drinking, Emily? Missed opportunity. What, which do you think I'm drinking? Um, Is it Key Lime? I don't know, because you thought Steven said the one you were drinking. It's not coconut, is it? It is coconut. Oh. I'm so sorry. I, I, that is I the one flavor of LaCroix that should not coconut. exist. That's the least best. Coconut. <laughs> mm, I'm we can sorry, all agree. That. I would rather drink pure. Me too. LaCroix. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, wait, wait, hold on, Stephen and Emily. Did you guys ever notice that they changed the name of that one Lacroix? It used to be Cran Raspberry. Yeah, and now it's Raz Cranberry. Yeah, they they changed it. They, they freaking Mandela affected us like in real time. Again, they did. <laughs> My favorite Lacroix <laughs> joke is that. With the uh, the flavorless one with the pure is purity culture came for Lacroix too, but that's okay. fun anyway. Okay, you know what? Tweet that. You know what? <laughs> it's fine. I'm a big girl. I can take it. Yeah. Oh, our drinks are paid for today. Oh, yeah. By our newest friend Jenny, who just joined the Yay! Patreon. Jenny, thank you so much. This morning, we would love to meet you in Discord. I hope that is uh, yes proving to be an easy process for you to sign up and get integrated because the uh, the group is always 
ready to welcome new people in. So thank you so much for paying for, we'll say you paid for the Razcran and the French 75, but, <laughs> but Emily, <not> mine. <laughs> Emily paid for the coconut LaCroix herself. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Okay. Well, roasted. Know. Boom, roasted. But more it's importantly, fine. Jesus paid it all. Duh. All to him I owe. I'm feeling this French 75 already. I'm so sorry, you guys. <laughs> that is, this is impressive. slow it down. We're less, wow. we're like five minutes into this, Josh. You need Not to calm even. yourself. Yeah, this is, um, this is intense. Well, so it is my topic today, which I feel like it's been forever. But I have, so there's a story behind my topic first. I was in the Discord. I'm trying to get all caught up and I saw that Chad had posed a question and I laughed, literally laughed out loud because my husband and I, not that long ago, while in the car, were discussing this very idea of trusting and doubting and can they be together, specifically talking about the idea of raveling and deconstruction. Um, But my husband and I, we were in the car and I forgot what exactly we were talking about, but he had said, oh, I doubt that. And I said, well, don't you trust me? And he had said, well, can you really trust and doubt at the same time? And I said, I really don't know. That's a question that I need to ravel out. And what better way to do that than Mm. to pose that question to you guys here? Um, Yeah. And I really don't know. I don't even have like any set answer, like what I'm trying to bring as far as what I already believe. I've never really thought of can trusting and doubting be together or, you know, do they do they oppose one another? If you doubt, then you don't trust or vice versa. So that's my question. That is a very uh, I think it's a delicate question, like a it's one that I think can Mm. easily disrupt people, because when you start questioning trust then you're questioning all sorts of other things and if you're questioning doubting then like how is doubting at play i don't know there's just a lot there to unpack yeah yeah i think this was this this was zach's question in our general chats i think it was chad and i think i'm just pulling it up here i thought it was chad oh maybe the question is would i be able to doubt my understanding of god while simultaneously trusting god beyond my understanding I don't need to. I don't need to quibble the source. I I just wanted to shout out two amazing people who are in our Discord and keep the conversation going. Yeah, absolutely. Either way, something we're definitely all thinking about, right? Uh, for sure. I I think the framing of the question is very interesting because I somehow I usually think of trust and doubt more like nouns than verbs. But the way you're asking it, Emily, is more verb language and action. Mm. Mm-hmm. which i i don't think it had struck me until now that that's how i've been thinking about them because i think because it is something you do yeah oh yeah for sure and that's a verb <laughs> remember those commercials do you remember please tell me you remember those commercials verb it's what you do it's like kids playing oh, soccer yeah. <laughs> or whatever in the field yeah <laughs> i feel like this might help us get to maybe our current answers i'm curious how each of you would have answered that question five years ago. Ooh. Can you trust and doubt at the same time? Ooh. Or what does it look like to do both? Because I think I would have said no. Like, I think I would have said no very firmly. Like, no, you cannot trust and doubt at the same time. 
And I think I've, I think I would have said that with a very biblical argument in mind, as in like almost entirely focused on trusting God. Like I cannot trust God mm. and doubt God at the same time. If, like if I'm going to take God at God's word, there can't be any room for doubt or for questioning or for, or even for clarification. Like I should just like assume that what was said was perfect and no questions need to be asked at all. And if, if I'm misunderstanding something, it's completely my fault mm. for not trusting more or trusting the process or something along those lines. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause if you can't trust the good God, then what it really means to doubt is doubt, doubting if God is good in essence at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's how I would have felt as well. Honestly, I'm finding it really hard to like reconnect with what I would have said five years ago. I feel like five years ago, Stephen and today, Stephen are uh, like quite literally two different people. I don't doubt that. Clever. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Hmm. Thank you. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I think I was just thinking five years ago, Stephen, like where were you at in life? Like were you post Christian? Were you. Oh, you no. Know, exploring universalism? Like, where were you oh, at no. five years ago? Five years ago, I was... Honestly, like, five years ago was, like, the beginning of, I guess, my ravel or deconstruction type thing. I think this was when I started listening to the Bad Christian podcast in their early days. Like, I went and did a binge of their whole backlog, got caught up, and then, like, signed up to be on their bonus stuff and, like, just was, like, mm-hmm. devouring stuff that they were doing. And originally my connection to it was the band Emery because I like heavy music. But uh, five years ago, I was just being plugged in to my now former church and feeling very, very excited about Christianity and feeling like I was getting like an all new, like fresh take on the gospel and on what it meant to be a Christian. And... I think I like I I didn't feel I don't think then I even had like a shred of doubt for anything I had grown up with yet basically I was coming out of a season of like not going to church for a while mm-hmm. after like after Dixie and I got married we stopped going to the church I grew up at and it it took a little while for us to find the new place and when we did it was just like it was so exciting right yeah but it was all confirming the stuff I had grown up with as well it was just like a if I'm being honest, it was just like a younger version of it. Quite literally, like the church was younger and the vibe was younger and the leadership was younger. And that's what we, that's why we left the church I grew up at was because it was like we were the youngest people on the worship team and like the, almost the entire church was just full of people who were like two or three decades ahead of us. And it was really hard to connect, especially as a young married couple. So uh, to answer the question, I think five years ago, I think I would have said like, I am fully in trust right now. I have no doubts. And I think I was even afraid of the potential of doubting what I was like so hyped on at the time. Emily, what about you? Do you think you would have answered any certain way five or six years ago? Well, so five or six years ago, I was you know, graduating college and going into seminary and just, you know, starting to really dunk myself deep, deep into theological study. And I think five years ago, me would have said, yes, you could 
but there would have been like a little hesitation. And I think it would have been, it would have been leaning towards the idea of if I trust and don't doubt, then is there something wrong in the sense that I view everything then as being perfect or complete? And I know that that's not true. So maybe doubt should be welcomed because then it allows me to tear things apart and to actually examine. And I think me now would say that you you can trust and you can doubt. I think they can be in the same space together. I think that they kind of give and take, though, like as trust increases, doubt decreases, but it doesn't completely go away. Mm. But and I think my mind has since five years ago has also changed in the sense that doubting is not bad. We are so quick to put doubt as being a negative, like to question anything really is yeah. seen as being a bad thing. And I don't get that. Like it's, it should be good to question things, you know? Well, so do you think of trust and doubt now as like on either end of a dichotomy? Like they're they're opposites and they can't mix or Oh no, I think they can mix. Yeah. I think they I think they should. What I think is funny is that like I would now describe whatever that spectrum is as like let's say trust on the left, doubt and or faith in the middle and like antitrust on the opposite end of the spectrum. Like I don't think that the antithesis of trust is doubt. I like that. How would you define antitrust? Yeah. Like I guess like rejection yeah, like like strictly the opposite of trust. Like the uh I hate how like sermony this sounds, but the best example I can think of off the top of my head is uh if it's raining outside, you put on a rain jacket because you trust it's gonna keep you dry. But if you have a rain jacket that like has a bunch of holes in it, you do not trust it's going to keep you dry. Mm-mm. Versus like that's not the same thing as doubting. Like I feel like trust has like an air of certainty to it, like either directional, like whether you do trust something or whether mm. you don't trust something. So what, what I think is interesting about the way you guys answered the five years ago question is, I think my answer is still no. Mm. I think my answer is still no, you cannot trust and doubt something at the same time. <laughs> but it's like a, like a very, like fundamentally a different reason. Like, I think it's because my concepts of trust and doubt have changed. And I agree that doubting and questioning is not bad or negative inherently. And I, but I just think that my, mm, maybe my emphasis on trust has altered a little bit, if that makes sense. So where is doubt then? Like if you look at your spectrum and you have trust on one end, antitrust on the other, and faith in the middle, where is doubt? Like how does doubt play a role? It doesn't play a role is actually a better question. See, I see, like, we, I guess we've kind of talked about this before. Like I see doubt and faith as intrinsically intertwined now and so if i was going to put this on a spectrum of in relation to trust i guess i would say that faith and doubt seem to be in the middle for me like faith faith slash doubt yeah okay so Mm -hmm. in comparison to trust feeling like more certainty driven so then if you did not doubt something would you say that you had a strong faith and if you did doubt something is your faith still strong or is it changing like how would you how does doubt interplay with your definition or understanding of faith for you well i think for me 
to me, it makes sense that to have faith in something means to also doubt that thing. Like it means to call that thing into question, but to put your your faith into it regardless. Like not not as a blind faith, but as a I fundamentally cannot know one way or the other. And to me, I think that that's what puts it in the middle between like trust and not trusting is like trusting feels like much more firm and tangible. Like you can uh, like, know and lean on it, whereas faith is you can't know yeah. and still choose to lean on it. Yeah, like mm. I feel like trust is like very often fittingly used in a relationship setting, but even that is very tangible. Like mm. your trust in someone can grow over time or decrease over time because of their tangible, practical actions. Versus I think I see faith and doubt more in terms of like the spiritual and the religious for things that we cannot prove or disprove. Mm. That's the way I'm making sense of it anyway. So like, I get, you know what I'm saying with like, I think I would still say mm-hmm. no, you cannot trust and doubt something at the same time, but it's like sure. for a very different reason now. So what is something that you do doubt or maybe Josh to put it in your language? What is something that you do not trust or antitrust um, whether it's in the church or in Christianity or religion in general, whatever. I think I mistrust. Okay. I forgot about the word mistrust. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, so I, I think I have a, I like these terms we have. I think I have a faith in the church just being like Jesus people. Though I think I mistrust the current predominant American iteration that calls itself the church. Mm-hmm. Like I, I still hold on to what could probably called a, be called a very romantic ideal of like the way people call like the capital C church or being like the new Jerusalem and the vision of revelation or whatever. But uh, I'm I'm not convinced that actually exists in many places that claim to say that they're a part of it today. And in general, I think just like, I'm probably still pretty mistrustful of just like the institutionalization of it all. I think that's a really good example because as I'm like running through other examples in my head, whether it's uh, church related or not, I think that trust and mistrust is often people directed. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It is very relational. What do you think about that? Yeah, relational. Or even like institutions of people. Like, for instance, I'm thinking of like science and medicine, and there are plenty of people who are mistrustful of certain disciplines um, for varying reasons and varying degrees of confidence. Um, But I think it's almost always like people-related. I guess you could say that maybe like the spectrum of trust to mistrust is similar to the spectrum of faith and doubt. Like, I feel like an argument could be made there that those are like seemingly similar paradigms. Sure. Like mm. one is in the positive, one is in the negative, and they seem to like complement each other somehow. But in your example, it, like, yeah, they're similar in the way they behave, but trust is still based on like a, like an epistemological foundation of like i can know this mm-hmm. versus i can't know this right like there's still a foundation of fundamentally your ability to know yeah i think that's what gets me like kind of weird about a question like this too because i think that it seems very um it's obviously an authentic question because the only type of people who ask that question are people who are 
like fundamentally struggling to figure out like what does it mean to trust or to doubt however I'm applying that like whether it's to people or the church or my faith or whatever but I think what feels weird to me about that question is that could easily be applied to something like science too like I feel like you get a lot of trust rhetoric around science like trust the science trust the studies but like mm-hmm on a fundamentally scientific level, like to do science means to constantly question. Uh-huh. So like, it's kind of, a, it's like, it's a <laughs> little so bit of a true. misnomer, honestly, yeah. to like say trust the science because like, like, yes, you can have confidence in like supported findings, but like, that's not the same as proof. Like just because like right. there is like a lot of evidence towards something doesn't mean that's like the final say. So like you can, you can trust that your methods are reliable. Like you can trust like reliability. Like that's why like reliability is talked a lot about in science. And in like bringing it back to like theology and belief, I feel like that's what a lot of people are getting at when they say like trust God, trust the Bible, trust the church. They're trying to get at reliability. Like the church mm-hmm. is reliable. God is the most reliable. And I think where people then start to question that is uh, when they don't see the consistency. Mm. Where do you think? trust and truth come into play because like first like if i if i trust in someone right or put my trust in someone then there's this idea that that person is either carrying out or holding something that i feel or believe to be true like there's truth to that and i wonder how truth and maybe like deception plays a role in doubting or in quite, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I don't know. My brain is going all over the place right now. <laughs> I still think that feels related to what Josh was just saying about like consistency or reliability of like when you trust in a person and believe in what we could say, like the truth of their character or the truth of their uh, personality even is basically that truth is the way you know them to show up in the world and but what if that's a lie like previous relationship consistently he was a stand-up guy and then come to find out it was all built on a lie mm. like so my truth was that he was a stand-up guy and he was honest and you know truthful yeah and loved me and then it turned out, oh, jokes on you. So if consistency, like I, I think that's only part of it. I think you can be consistently lying and be good at it and have it come across as being truthful. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And in that case, you you built a sense of trust around it until that consistency was shattered, right? And maybe you saw more of the picture, or because. Certainly deception happens. I think, I think that's why only consistency is part of it, because like there's nothing consistent about faith. Hmm. What do you mean? Like God is changing or can be changed or relationships change. And so there's nothing like the only thing that really would be consistent is the idea of love and like compassion, right? But I think everything even around that can change. And so I think consistency is kind of weird. I think it's maybe continuous is not the same as consistency because mm. I can continue to do something. Well, I think, I think that's, I think you bring up a good point because I think that that is why a lot of Christians 
impose a lot of trust rhetoric onto God or the Bible or your relationship with God and the church, because it's often viewed that, like in compare, especially in comparison with humanity, like we will just always let each other down. Like we are always imperfect, but God and the Bible are perfect, and therefore you can trust in them. And I feel like that's uh like it could just be the circles I've been in, but I feel like that is the predominant view often of Christians and trust. I get that, which doesn't leave a lot of room for doubt because it's just like cornerstoned on like consistency, mm-hmm. unmovable mover, like the righteous cornerstone that cannot yeah. be budged. Yeah. Like you can say whatever you want all day. Like you can be like Job that blames God, even though Job doesn't blame God. But um, like you can be angry all you want, but like God is the most trustworthy thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, the concept of trustworthiness is interesting because I feel like it implies you've earned trust, like in a relationship. Ah, mm-hmm. And honestly, I think that the the way that the church gets itself into trouble is when people see the evidence that the church is not as trustworthy as it proclaims to be and has been in a lot of cases mistrustful of its people. Like I almost, I, I think of the parable of the talents, honestly, when I feel like a lot of churches could do well to take this more seriously. Um, when uh, people are entrusted with something, I feel like there's a, mm. uh, Man, the word trust is just so loaded with meaning, isn't it? I, I feel like there's an implication that like you will keep something safe or like you will do well by something. Like mm-hmm. when, like in a relationship, when you are entrusted to each other or when you're trusted with money, like in the parable of the talents. And then when a, a church is entrusted with people and like does not do well by those people, it like seems super obvious that you cannot trust in that thing anymore. And then in that person's mind, can I ever trust in an institution again? Yeah, I mean, that is that is admittedly where I am with churches right now. Yeah. Right. But I feel like it's those, those uh, little bits of untrustworthiness wherever we encounter them that leads us to be cornered in with doubt. Mm. Isn't like, that interesting how one thing can totally tip the scales and you no longer trust in either a person or institution but it it doesn't really work the other way around like it doesn't take one thing to have all this trust (laughs) like it is Uh, you can lose it very quickly and it's very hard to gain back yeah Mm. i think that's negativity bias i just negativity just sticks so much more and feels so much bigger i think there's probably a reason for that right like evolutionarily like learning to mistrust the things that make us feel bad and then avoid them so that we feel better or safer, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that faithfulness is a fruit of the spirit and not trustfulness. Is that a thing? Like I did <laughs> trustfulness? <laughs> yeah. Trustworthiness. Trustworthiness. But like yeah. in the case of your relationship, Emily, like part of me wonders if maybe the in the way we're using it, especially with like trust and mistrust kind of being a scale and faith and doubt being another scale and each like one is built on the knowability of something and one is based on like imperfect interpretation of like right mm. like your experience of your relationship was good while your interpretation was allowed to be good and mm. and that's that I think that's why in relationships we talk about like when we talk about faithfulness or infidelity of like 
cheating or abuse or something like that, we call that person being unfaithful. Oh, yeah. And maybe that's because like, uh, I, it's like, you can't, can you truly know a person Mm -hmm. to their core? I mean, like, I feel like that's the project of marriage is to really learn to grow with a person. And to your point, that's more of a continuation than a consistency thing, right? Like Dixie is not Mm -hmm. the same person I married and I'm glad for it in the same way that I'm not the person she married. Right. But we remain faithful to each other because we have at least reliable evidence that we're committed to each other. But because Josh was just talking about how trust is usually like people directed or institution Mm. of people directed. But we don't use that language in relationships. It's always faithful, unfaithful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, in some ways, feel like it is possible to trust in one thing and doubt in the things around it i guess like that i feel like that's a that's a pretty common framing of like especially when christians talk about like these are the essentials that you should believe to be a christian and then there's non-essentials with all the the extra theologies we can like try and wrap that up around but so in a way like i feel like i trust god in the sense of like i I trust that there is a god out there who is even better than my best imaginations of what good looks like or what love looks like. But I doubt quite a few things that have been attempted to like dress up God with all the theologies that can arise around it, you know? Hmm. What do you think it means to trust the Bible? <laughs> just to like, <laughs> just to like export the conversation a little bit to something maybe more, uh, Streamlined. Yeah. Yeah. I was like to a specific example. Um, like for instance, can you trust the Bible and also doubt the Bible? Mm. Because I feel like a lot of people fall back on I feel like this is a unique example (laughs) because I feel like a lot of people (laughs) do use the word trust in terms of like relational aspects, and but also a lot of Christians talk about trusting the Bible. I think it probably mostly comes from that one verse from uh uh, is it second Timothy? Like all, All scriptures. scripture is God breathed yeah. and trustworthy for mm-hmm. yep. reproof, teaching, yada, yada, yada. But like, I feel like that then turns into people saying, like, just trust the Bible. Like, even if you don't understand it, like, put your trust in it somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when the teaching is like, if you come to a point in the Bible in which you disagree, then change your mind because the Bible is the right one. Metanoia. Mm-hmm. I've been told that. Of like, if you disagree, then you're wrong and you just need to like. Which like sounds good. Like it sounds yeah. good saying. There is a golden ruler that, like, we can measure everything against. Right. And it is the truth. Ah, but is it my truth? <laughs> well, they would say no. They, <laughs> they would say that that's not a thing. <laughs> Part of me almost I, wants to agree yeah. with that of, like, you know, okay, we're getting into territory of the episode we made with Corey DiBiase, which should be coming soon to the free feed here. But, uh, like, I... I in a way, like I look at the world and like I'm comfortable with the idea of like capital O objective truth to a sense. But what I doubt almost completely is my subjective ability to interpret that objective reality with mm. any sort of objectivity. Mm. Right. Like certainly like it feels consistent and it feels right to me in a metaphysical way to say like the world is and the universe is something right now and is presenting itself in one way. 
But my ability to interpret that is where we get into people debating like the subjectivity of philosophy and like your truth, my truth is like, we're looking at the same thing, but we have two completely different vantage points, right? Mm -hmm. So to say that like my interpretation of the objective reality is true. And that's where I'm at with the Bible too, is like, okay, sure. But also it's been translated how many times to get to the NASB translation in my hands? And how many people on committee did that from the Greek to the English? And even like you, you want to talk about even like the interpretation layer that would have happened if you truly believe like the letters of Paul were dictated by God into Paul's ear and Paul wrote them down. That's still an interpretation that happens, right? Like if, if I, I'm taking notes on what you guys say right now in this episode, I guarantee you my notes don't reflect exactly what you said. I'm interpreting my notes based on my writing style, based on what <laughs> sticks out to me as important. So even if God did that to Paul, we're still not getting like the full Shekinah glory, right? Of like mm. the actual word of God in front of us. It's always being interpreted. And I just think our interpretation, our subjective tools of interpretation are not as reliable as some people think they are. Or can be. So I don't trust the Bible. I'll answer that question, Josh. <laughs> we just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. Ravel is a founding podcast of the Heinlein Media Network. And here's a word from one of our sister shows, The Whiskey Bench. If you are willing to give an inch on someone that you don't like and use that as a justification to use force against them or to exclude them in some way or anything like that, you are leaning into these authoritarian ways of, of viewing the world. And so the only way to combat that is to truly love your enemy. Because if you're willing to use force against your enemy, you better be careful because you're going to become the enemy at some point and force will be used against you. Josh, Emily, you know how some Christians have an opinion that communion can only be wine and unleavened bread? It's bullcrap. It is. And let me tell you what I prefer. On a nice Sunday quiet morning, I will sip a delightful hot cup of Highline coffee with my buttered toast. 
And I think that is communion in and of itself. Amen, Amen, brother. Amen. You are preaching. What's the better name for our metaphorical coffee shop that we're putting into our podcast church? Is it Holy Grounds or is it Hebrews or is it the Sproly Spirit? (laughs) Well, whichever we choose, just as God pours his Holy Spirit into us, so we pour ourselves a nice mug of coffee. If you want to join us in doing this as well, be sure to order coffee now. We sell it. You can order it at highline.network forward slash shop. Josh, do you trust the Bible? I've oh, I just feel like it's such a loaded question. Like I know I'm the one who brought it up. Hey, you and asked I, it. Yeah. <laughs> in a way, I want to say I have faith in the people who helped put the Bible together. Like I think the people I who, do not. The people who <laughs> wait, you do not? What? Okay, let me give me let me give my charitable take and then you <laughs> blast it out of the water, apparently. But I like I I've learned to be a lot more charitable even to a character like Paul. Of like I Paul was sharing what he thought was important to share with his audiences, right? And like even the people who were earnestly trying to grapple with what even the modern day canon would look like, like I'm inclined to not assume malicious intent. I think they probably had what they would call good intent. Like they're trying to serve future generations with, with what they canonize. But, uh, so, Emily, your hot take. What? Give me this. <laughs> well, <laughs> one, um, those who were educated and those who had the means in which to read and interpret scripture, they were then given the opportunity to share that with others. And just thinking realistically, I'm sure there were people who were like, I don't really like this group of people. Like... <laughs> I don't really know, you know, what how how to approach this. And so it's very it can be very easy to insert your own idea into a transcription, you know, like so and so left a note for you to to make sure you put this edit in and they could have ignored it. Like we don't know. Um, but also with the number of times the Bible has been edited and redacted and changed, um, the King's James version, of course, you know, King's James kind of had a big say in that, um, which tells me that if you have power and you have money and you have wealth and authority, you can dictate what is shared and what is not shared. And I think of the voices that were not part of that process. And those are the people that oftentimes need to hear good news too. And so, no, I don't always trust the people. I would go so far as to say the whole Jesus project was for the type of people who who weren't heard in arenas like that. So like those but those in power put it all together okay you know (laughs) so like they are dictating what is shared and what's not shared what's being available and what's not available you know and i think what were to happen if more women or you know more minorities were part of the process, you know. That's mm. that's why we have so many different commentaries, you know, is because yeah, like womanist reading or liberation. Yeah, women's yeah. theology. You know, you have queer theology and all. You know, and it's wonderful and it's great. And it's like, what if the Bible, though, mm. like from the very beginning, was to have those voices? Sure, I would. I would trust in well, it more because I know that it was written. So, in I, yeah, you go, Stephen, and then I have a thought too. Yeah, I have. I have a few thoughts. Um, <laughs> The first one, I think, especially in the context of 
Uh, probably like the early New Testament. L- like, let's speak authors specifically, not like canonizers okay. or authors specifically. But like okay. the people who penned the the letter that then not got copied and spread about, right? Like, even if we start in the New Testament, like these are people who, I mean, like are being persecuted by people like Saul of Tarsus until his conversion. Like these are people who are more sure. more than likely on the underground and they have this like radical message that is actually more or less targeting the people that other folks in power wanted to exclude. So like, right. The Pharisees want to exclude the Gentiles because that's their, that's their way, right? Like this is what they thought the law was telling them to do is remain separate and all that. But then here comes Jesus and his people who say like, no, like, uh, and even Paul or Peter has his vision of like, take and eat anything on the sheet, right? Like it was never about this anyway. So go into the Gentiles house, have a meal with this general. Mm-hmm. So I think even it was already being targeted toward those people and sure that gets co-opted and I have, um, I have nothing but negative reviews for people like Constantine who make Christianity a national religion. <laughs> Right, like I have nothing but unsubscribes for Constantine. <laughs> Unsubscribe from Constantine. Yeah, um, yeah. In the same way that that the Christianity, like uh, I think there are beautiful communities um, around liberation theology that have come up that I've learned about in recent years, and at the same time, people in Russia are calling themselves Christians and like attaching themselves in a positive way to Putin's regime. Right, like that. Mm-hmm. That also happens. And I think even in the Old Testament, pushing it all the way back there is like this was the people who were enslaved by Egypt. Like they started writing like through the Exodus and onward of like telling their story of their right, their origin story through mm-hmm. their their patriarchs. But that was How often are those stories shared, though, in church. Oh, I mean, Old Testament is pretty rare. And I feel like it's a lot of Paul. See, that's the thing is like we have these wonderful writings, yeah. but they're like never talked about. Again, it has to do with power. Sure. Okay. Well, so then the uh, the real world example for you and I is I have the editing power of this podcast. Don't edit it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't edit it. Based on. Leave all our blemishes. Cut her out. <laughs> I mean, like based on. Uh, like even <laughs> I finished editing episode 89 yesterday and I texted you guys that it was up in Dropbox and Josh was like, honestly, I forgot what that one was about. <laughs> so like even like I have the editorial power of like, you don't know what I cut out. <laughs> you have mm-hmm. no idea. I Like mm-hmm. and it, it does require, I think, a level of trust or a level of faith in me to not like to not screw it up, cut words to make you sound like you say something that you definitely don't think. Or definitely to believe or something like that. But I can also promise you that if I did not edit, this podcast wouldn't be as good. Like the pacing would feel really weird because internet calls are inherently weird. Ah. There, there's all sorts of stuff that I work on through the edit. And I think you can also trust that I have the best of intentions, right? Even though I am the one in power and I'm also the one with the privilege of owning all the equipment to do so and all that kind of stuff. So like, I guess... Maybe, maybe I'm at best, I'm doing like a devil's advocate here of like, mm-hmm. is it possible that even the people in power who were trying to what I think do their best to give us the Bible that we can quote unquote trust in, 
are doing that with the best of intentions. Like, sure, King James, sure, Constantine, like, unsubscribe all the way. But uh, part of me, I, I still like to hold out at least some form of, like, romantic idealism for... There were people there were people there who were genuinely trying to do their best and do okay some pretty like historical things right like you you think about oh, where the creeds came from the councils right it's like i have to assume that they all felt like the gravity of what they were doing mhm and uh, i can't believe i'm about to also argue for the reliability of the biblical text to a pastor <laughs> um <laughs> Steven, I really liked your uh, podcast example because uh, the thing you made me think of no, was- No, that's a perfect example. Every week when I post a quote uh, on our Instagram and Twitter, yeah, and I like purposely rotate through each of us so that like, just like the podcast, we have more or less equal voice. Even if you took the timestamps, it's probably not exact, but it's like more or less equal. So same thing, same philosophy for the socials. And sometimes one of you on an episode, I've never ranted about this. Sometimes one of you on an episode like does not like have a fully formed thought for the like for the week that it's your quote yeah yeah <laughs> and like i will i will like write down snippets of like the things that you're saying and i'll thread it together for a quote and like at the beginning i was really against this i was like no i'm gonna like i'm gonna take a quote exactly as they said it like i'm gonna be faithful to the speaker yeah right <laughs> um and like not take something out of context and then Honestly, I shifted a little bit on that because, like, at some point along the way, I was like, Steven is not saying a full sentence in this episode. Yeah. How am I going to turn this into a quote? I'm guilty of that for sure. <laughs> um, which, like, to be fair, does not happen all the time, but it just, like, happened no. to happen on whatever episode I was trying to grab a quote from. Yeah. And because I was unmoving on pulling a quote from you, I was like, I'm going to thread these together. Like, I'm going to, like, in a way that, like, is still Steven. And Stephen did say these things, but not back to back. Like he said them 10 minutes apart, but it mm -hmm. was what he was getting at. Like it was in the same thread of thought. It's still coming. Like all the words are still coming from Stephen, even though I took out some filler. I like added a comma or a period. I made it a full sentence. But he didn't say that exactly as I wrote it. But like it, it was still Stephen. And I saw so you just reminded me of that. Um, Emily, I... I think your take is really interesting, <laughs> and I I also don't think it's incorrect to like. Oh my god! I don't think it's wrong to point out like, and in fact, I think we should do it more. Pointing out the power dynamics of interpretation and translation, and how like even translation is interpretation. I almost flooded um, my lungs with Lacroix just now. Oh my gosh! That's so <laughs> because I called her take interesting. Yeah. Please be careful. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't mean to say sound like uh, demeaning or anything, but that was insane. Yeah. Okay. Um, like, but also, I would argue in a similar way with science that we are self-correcting our theology and our methods of theology. Hopefully. 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 Like, yeah. Right. Like we hope. Like I have faith that we are. I trust. Yes. Right. Which, like, is not a very unchristian thing to say. Like, it is not unchristian to say we are, like, becoming more knowledgeable of God. We are being more sanctified, whatever. Yeah, because we're in process. Like, I think we should assume, I, I, yeah, I think we should assume that that is not only true for individuals, but also at large. Like, we should assume mm -hmm. that Christianity itself is being sanctified, if you're Ooh. going to believe in that at all. So, like, with the Constantine example, 
this might be a little bit of a stretch. Excuse me, I'm not a historian. Um, I would argue that the Constantine example is more similar to someone like Joseph Smith, someone who had like ultimate mm. control over the narrative and definitely had ulterior motives, uh, definitely benefited from certain interpretations and theologies that were being written about. Obviously not the same situation. But like I would argue that present day, having more voices in the interpretation community is better. Like I was, uh, I was tweeting on the Ravel account the other week about like theology not being a democracy, and like as much mm -hmm. as I think that that's true, like it it's not true just because eighty percent of the Christians say it's true. But like having more voices in the interpretation and theological process should help us prevent those ulterior motive power struggle situations. Like we mm -hmm. don't have a present day Constantine. Like we might have like little microcosms who are following just one pastor. And only listening to that pastor because they view that pastor as all the truth. Like all the other people are false teachers. Like this guy's the one guy. But like, it's really hard to find like massive power vacuums of theology these days. Even if we have like different theological camps that like fundamentally disagree. So all of that to say, like I think that the Emily, I think you're absolutely right that like we do need more voices, especially from marginalized communities to help us see what the Bible is trying to say. And I would argue that because we do have more of that, the Bible has become more reliable and is less subject to that corruption that we have seen in the past. Mm, I'll, I appreciate that. I can um, get on board with that. And also, <laughs> this is maybe where I get a little bit uh, controversial as well. Um, this I, I do argue, love. I do love this feeling. Real quick, Josh, I love this feeling that <laughs> Emily has a hot take, and then we just mansplain the shit out of her for twenty minutes. <laughs> I w yeah, I would love to hear Emily's response as well. I, I'm sorry. <coughs> yeah. In my defense, Emily has a pulpit, and I do not. So. Oh. Uh, 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 I'm not at the pulpit right now. <laughs> I know. This um, is what happens when you try to share a pulpit with three people by committee. It's ugly. Okay, go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. I'm listening. I'm all ears, truly. I'm so listening. So the, the place where I do disagree with you, I guess, <laughs> sort of, <laughs> is that even if there have been changes to the biblical text, like from the original sources or from the original language, or like, mm -hmm. like even if we view our NASB or ESV as like incomplete because of corruption or misinterpretation or whatever... I don't think that's a big deal, personally, because I was listening to this podcast that has nothing to do with theology. It was uh, from Radiolab. The episode is called La Mancha Screwjob. It's a great episode. It's about- I just listened to that today. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Isn't it so good? Yes. It's so good. Steve, Emily, have you listened to it? Uh, no, okay. I have not. So it's, um, it's about pro wrestling, and it's also about Don Quixote, and that's all I will say about it. Oh, okay. okay. Great episode. Steven will tell me if this tracks or not because he's actually listened to the episode. Um, but one of the things I thought was really interesting that they were talking about was like the, the power of meta narrative and how like even if like the narrative has been going one way for a long time and then suddenly like the narrative changes and it's like the narrative is now you talking about the narrative. Like we as humans find that super fascinating. Like we are drawn to that. Like a self-aware narrative is like so attractive. And I would okay. argue that the Bible is maybe 
possibly the oldest or maybe the longest standing meta narrative that we have in existence. Ooh. And because of that, oh. that is why it permeates almost all of our culture. Like certainly in the West, um, obviously like there are other influences in the world. I do not think the Bible is the end all be all. Certainly not for most disciplines. Sure. But I, I think that it is the power of the meta narrative that makes the Bible so intrinsically valuable. Okay. Okay. And, and also, I will say, I think that if we're going to talk about the Bible being trustworthy, this is such a long answer. I'm so sorry. No, you're not. Okay. <laughs> I think that we have to be careful when we say what we trust the Bible for. Like, I do not trust the Bible for scientific information. Ah. See? Okay. See? I do not trust it for medical information. I do not look up, why do I have a headache? And I, I do not go to the Bible for that. But that's how many people read the Bible. They read it as if it is going to be a prescription or a fix-all to all your problems like you find the word hope and you find 10 scripture that talks about hope and that'll fix your problem regarding hope like that's how people read scripture and i don't trust it that way so my answer still stands <laughs> mm. so it's an education problem yeah oh definitely or of they they don't know what they're holding really as like yeah the most famous core meta narrative we have and especially that's in all, why, our culture that's why those like pastors and not even just pastors but those who teach about the bible so like scholars like biblical scholars like we have a responsibility to have sound theology and sound like biblical hermeneutics because much like you know readers and listeners long ago who relied on the person who was educated to you know they're putting their trust in this person that the knowledge mm. that they're gaining is true like that is still relevant today that has not changed yes there are more voices who can add to the narrative and who can help broaden and you know make it more dynamic in regards to theology and understanding who god is and who god is in the world like we still have a responsibility though to ensure that it's sound and that it actually makes sense because it is very easy to preach or to share on something in scripture that's not actually there, but people will believe it because you say it enough. <laughs> you know, for the longest time, people thought money is the root of all evil. No, that's not what it says. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. Like that changes the meaning. <laughs> but for so long, we drill it into our head what scripture says or what the verse says. And we don't actually educate ourselves. Like we don't put we don't put the time to actually explore or to doubt or to question and to explore. Mm. And all of our trust, all of this faith that we have is then being put on something that actually is not there. And it's also not giving you anything. Mm. This is a hard left turn, but I feel like Thomas gets a bad rep for being the doubting apostle. Yes. <laughs> You know, and we lose we totally lose sight on the fact that like what Jesus is doing for Thomas is exactly what he did for the rest of the disciples. Like, <laughs> yeah, he presented himself to the other disciples. Here are my wounds. Here are the scars. Right. And then Thomas wasn't there. And so for Thomas to be like, yo, you all got to experience this. I need to experience it, too. That's valid. And I think Thomas gets a bad rap for that. Do you well, think? Yeah. Jesus even validates it. He's like, blessed are you, for you did not believe without seeing. Yeah. But also, like, blessed will other people be. Yeah, he said, like, like even more blessed are those who don't see and still believe. Like, 
that's why I think we get a like a bad uh bad vibe from Thomas there is because it it sounds like in a way Jesus is saying like you missed out on being one of the uh the first people who believed without seeing but poor you. So what would you say it means then to trust the story? Cuz I feel like that's what Jesus is getting at and I feel like that's kind of the point that I was trying to get at with the meta narrative thing. Like Jesus is saying blessed are the people who just trust the story without being there to see it themselves. What does that mean? Yeah, so Jesus says I'm pulling Bible out now. It's John 20, 29. This only happens like once every five episodes. I know, it's crazy. (laughs) And last time I quoted something, I got a whole chapter off. So, me, I guess. (laughs) Um, Yeah, John 20, 29. Because you have seen me, have you believed? Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. That's That's what we're talking about there. And this is right after like the reach here with your finger and see my hands reach here your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but be believing. I think what he's saying is like your faith is more important than the grounds of your faith. But like, I'm still going to validate the fact that you want to experience this. Say that again. Your faith is more important than the grounds of your faith. Say more. What do you mean? The idea that you need to have everything proven and solidified is not as important as the fact that you just believe. It goes back to like, you know, the, the Santa Claus, right? Seeing isn't believing, believing is seeing type things. Or like, it's right there in front of you. Like, you don't, I, I just don't believe it, but it's right there in front of you. Huh. I need to make sense of this. I need to try to reason through it. And Jesus is saying, nope, we're going to turn it on its head. Like, yes, you. I will still show you the scars. I will still show you, here's my side, here are my hands, here, like, you get to see it because they got to see it too. But just know that you still believe even if you hadn't seen it. But the fact that you want to, like the fact that you want to experience this is vital. The, and I want to honor that. And so here you that's, go. That's a really good point. We don't give Thomas the credit for like still trying to seek out an experience of Jesus after doubting the first report from the disciples. Like, and also, it's reasonable that he doubted it, right? And I think, well, yeah, I've I've heard sermons of being like, well, I mean, he was probably there when Lazarus raised from the dead, so why wouldn't he believe he could do it to himself? And it's like, okay, I don't think that's as simple as <laughs> you want that to be. But well, and if if you're gonna pull that card, do you think all the disciples believed Mary and the women when they came back from the tomb? No, <laughs> great point. <laughs> yeah, they had to go so, seek it out themselves. Nah. John and Peter have a foot race. Yeah. yeah. Okay. See what I mean? Like totally. experience is crucial. Like I am not mad. Like Thomas, I'm right there with you. <laughs> and also he, I mean, like th- this is a recorded example. Who knows if this actually happened with the other disciples, but like he gets an invitation to like touch Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like it, it could be argued that his doubt led him to a place where he got an even more literally embodied experience of the risen Lord because he got to like actually touch him. Exactly. I preached on this actually not too long ago. (laughs) No way you did. That's awesome. I did. Yes. (laughs) If we're going to talk about the Bible, like if we're going to talk about the Bible is like the grounds of faith, I think that it stands to reason with like, if we're going to hold like what Emily's saying about like sound theology for a second. Um, cause I kind of, uh, 
But if we're going to take that, um, <laughs> if we're going to take that, I think it stands to reason that Jesus is affirming people who do not believe in him without seeing. Mm-hmm. Thomas was the first one. Like, what would it mean to be a Christian who does not believe in Jesus until you see after your death? Uh, like until you get mm. to see for yourself because jesus says you're blessed mm. if you do that well and th- like the very before you get to john 21 like there's that last bit it says there are many other miracles and stories that are not recorded in this book but it is so for you you know who are going to read it that you may come to know and believe like it's written for us like not like i mean us but like f- for future readers it's you know that was a the bit intent. of a tease though of like there were a lot of other dope things <laughs> that happened we're not going to tell you about like that's rude yeah <laughs> so josh you have an issue with my sound theology bit huh uh i think mostly in the sense of like i've just seen so many christians like logic their way out of good answers like something can be logically sound and it's just wrong mm. like to use a the theology example the church for the longest time had the sound theology this is such a cliche example. I'm so sorry, but it's such a good one. They had the sound theology that the earth was the center of the universe. It made so much sense. Like it stood to reason. It like they proof texted it. It was correct. And like later we found out very much not correct. And I think that we like if we only. Um, That's why I said sound theology. Like. <laughs> right. But that was their theology. Like that came from a theological basis. I don't think that was their theology. I think that was a part of their theology, but... Sure. But I don't know. It's a hard one because like, I agree logic is valuable, but I also don't think it's the end-all be-all. Like, I think that that's what like, is difficult for me with people logicking their way with the biblical text is like, I don't think that's the most important thing to do. I think it's the meta-narrative that's the important piece here. Like, We can debate about like, the words being translated into English the correct way and like whether or not Paul and Jesus contradict each other. But like at the end of the day, I think that those are like minuscule arguments compared to like what the Bible is trying to get at overall, like the thread running through the Bible or the, the way the, the Bible project puts it, like the overarching narrative of the Bible. Well, but, but if how people read the overarching narrative as we need souls to save and you're damned and you're going to hell, like I, I don't want to be a part of that. I, I want, you know, like, but I think it really depends. Right. But personally, I don't think that's the meta narrative of the Bible. But that's your interpretation. Others would that's disagree. <laughs> <laughs> that's why we have denominations and splits is because people can't agree. Yeah, that's a good point. Again, uh, it's your truth, Josh, not mine. I'm just kidding. Okay. We're on the same. We're pretty much on the same page you think, here. Okay. This might just be a rehashing of the first question. But do either of you think that doubt should lead to trust Hmm. like in some way like whether it's like trust in the thing that you were doubting or like trust in a new thing do you think that it should lead to trust i hope that it does that's my answer uh i mean it depends on where you're headed like to heaven or hell well no i mean like even even in the the sense of like right i grew up republican and I started doubting that. Mm. I don't think it necessarily needs to lead to a trust of being a Democrat, but it's taken me somewhere new, right? But I don't, I don't think I necessarily trust where I've arrived yet, but it was all kicked off, kicked off by 
doubting the ideology I grew up with, right? Yeah, but it's still continuing. That you know, like you haven't reached the end yet, so you can't really answer that. Yeah, that's why I say I'm politically agnostic. <laughs> I like that. I, I appreciate that the... answer. But I like I think that could go for anything though. Is like, yeah, I I think the answer is no. It doesn't doesn't need to should lead to trust. Good gracious, that was a terrible sentence. That was an awful sentence. <laughs> it doesn't. No. It doesn't need to lead to trust. It's not a should or a shouldn't. Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. I think I agree with that. But I think I agree with it in the sense that I think doubt and questioning is the first step to you confirming whether or not you should trust something. So I think that it it usually does lead to trust or mistrust in something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which also can be fluid. Like sometimes you need to not trust someone or a company, or an institution. And sometimes people regain your trust. And I think that's okay Mm -hmm. to be open to. But I I do think that doubt often does lead to you confirming whether or not you should like fully trust or not fully trust something. Like Maybe it is kind of black and white. Like I think that I see faith and doubt as not so black and white anymore, but maybe trust can be black and white still. And I think that can be okay. Like, there are people that I do not trust anymore or like do not trust with certain information or opinions. Hmm. Yeah. And I think that's fine. And I also think it's okay to, uh, to be in process about that too. Like, especially in regards to like theology in the church. Like, I think it's okay to not be sure if you trust the church. And I don't think we should demonize people who think that. Like, I, I do think there are very, very few people who are truly anti-church. Like they think that churches just should not exist. They're the bane of existence. Um, they're evil. They're causing lots of harm in people's lives. And to their credit, some churches are. I think that's just fact. But I, I think that it's, I think more often than not, I think it's people who are just not sure if they can trust something. And I think that like sitting in that gray area is often uncomfortable for those people. And I think it's uncomfortable for people who do trust in that thing. Because they don't know what to do with that. Like they don't have a, they don't, they don't have like an answer to deal with that with, despite trusting in that thing themselves. Like their trust in that thing does not tell them what to do with people who don't trust in that thing. I don't know. So I think that, I'm tracking. That's kind of where I'm at. Wow. Wow. That was a lot to unpack. I feel like this question, I don't know. I feel like this topic as a whole just raised a whole lot more for me which might be a good thing i don't know (laughs) classic like i feel like it's hard to talk about this subject without like getting into like the nitty-gritty of yeah opinions or theological issues or more practical things right and like at what point do you just say enough is enough you know right or i also think it's hard to like be not too simplistic about it like even with my raincoat example earlier like it just felt so sermon illustration-y <laughs> that like, sure, that works for raincoats, but like, what does that mean for theology? Like, that doesn't really translate necessarily. Right. Good question, though. Well, are there, Thought-provoking. Yeah. Are there uh, any closing thoughts or new insights, maybe? I think the Bible affirms doubt in a way that a lot of Christians don't talk about. I think Thomas and I would be best of friends. If he were here today. Yeah. I did love that question you had, Josh, of like, what about the people who 
we're like holding out until maybe after death to find out. And I was like, yes, universalism. Thank you. <laughs> it's right there. It's at me. <laughs> yep. Pretty cool. much. Well, thanks for tackling this with me. Yeah. Thanks for a good one, Emily. Um, the GoFundMe for our patron, uh, Courtney Clark is still open. Um, we are trying to raise a few bucks and raise awareness about a couple of the vascular compression maladies that she suffers from and, you know, just try to get awareness out for that, understanding the signs because it's been a very confusing, very hard journey for her even to be diagnosed. And, uh, you know, in this case, knowledge was half the battle. And now that she's in a place where she's actually undergoing some treatments, we're trying to raise a little money to help pay for some childcare or even a nice date night or a massage to help her relax as she goes through a couple surgeries through this process of healing. So the link to that GoFundMe is in the show notes. So we really appreciate your, uh, your thoughtfulness there, whether if it, it, I'm like, even if it's like five bucks. And also I think we should reiterate anyone who signs up to be a patron of Ravel in this month of June here, we're giving all of our income from the months of May and June to Courtney on top of this GoFundMe mm -hmm. um, as a way to just let her know that she's supported by a community. So if you want to kill two birds with one stone, as they say, but also that's Ay. probably a bad metaphor in this case, but like if you want to accomplish <laughs> two things, support Courtney and join the Ravel Patreon this month, now would be a perfect time to do it. Uh, also, if you are one of our listeners who has not given us a review, I think I should just go on the record and say very soundly, you are going to hell. <laughs> uh, what? You did not expect me to say that, did you? <laughs> I did not. Wow. Well, you heard it here. Okay. I can, I, 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 the Bible says it. I believe it. God settles it. Right. Okay, well... So if you, want it, if you want to escape the eternal conscious torment... If you want your ticket to heaven... Leave us a review. Thank you. Emily, and how would you... if you're comfortable with going to hell, you should still leave a... <laughs> you should still leave a review. Oh, I love Wait, that. Wait, did you just say if you want to go to hell? <laughs> I said if you're, if you're comfortable with the idea of going to hell, you should still leave a review. I didn't even think of... I didn't even consider that other <laughs> theological opinion. Thank you. You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. Um... Uh, Emily, how would you uh, close this out? What do you got? Much like Doubting Thomas, we want to experience and come to terms with what the heck is going on with this idea of God and God in the world and God present with us. And luckily, we can be in community and ravel it out together. And if we have to wait till we get up into heaven to find out, uh, then so be it. But otherwise, until then, maybe we'll just keep questioning and doubting and see where the journey takes us. Welcome to the Whiskey Bench, where we pair cocktails with conversation. Whether we're diving deep into a meaty subject like the history of fascism, or why monetary policy drives inflation, 
or just bringing you the highlights of a crazy news week. We aim to look past the simple answers and discuss the complexity of our wild world. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a drink, and join us on the Whiskey Bench. Highline Media Network, artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.